Let's do that hockey. Welcome, everybody, to Dauber Prospects Report, report number seven, the organizational rankings part two, teams 21 through 16. All right, so we're going to pick up where we left off from report six, and we're counting down the NHL prospects pools. In case you missed it, on the last show, we started talking at the bottom at 32, and we're working our way to the top, and we discussed the bottom 11 teams. As we get closer to the top, We'll dive a little deeper into the team's prospects as the quality of players will get a little bit better and more fantasy relevant. But before we get started, we got another show announcement to make. It's been a lot of show announcements since you joined the podcast, Victor. The Dauber Prospect Report is now a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. So we're very excited to be joining the army of fantastic hockey podcasts on that network. Please check out the Hockey Pod on Twitter at hockey pod net for all the shows like this one talking hockey from fantasy to team coverage to you name it you can also use the DraftKings promo code thpn all capitals for listening to this show and you can use that promo code to do some betting so more on that in a bit Welcome to the show, Victor. It's good to have you back on the podcast with me. I should introduce ourselves. My name is Peter Harling, and my co-host is El Nuno, Victor Nuno. Welcome back, Victor. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, it's exciting times over here at Dauber Prospects Report, new partnerships, and hopefully looking forward to the same great content or even improvement on that, right? I hope so. And we've got some new software that'll help clean up some of my ums that I make and whatnots. So hopefully you guys will notice that the show sounds much crisper and more professional too. One more announcement that I just remembered right now is coming out in June 1st, I believe it is, the Dauber Prospects Draft Guide, or sorry, Prospects Report. Not to be confused with the podcast, but the guide you can buy off the website that has prospects for each team and all the draft content that you want as well if you're in the dynasty leagues and if you're listening to this podcast you are that is a must own guide that i'm sure you've had before and victor's first time contributing it to it this year must have been fun to be on the other side victor what did you like about being a contributor to it yeah it was really fun but mostly it's also stressful because you're like want to do a really good job it's easy to sit back and poke holes at what people are saying and say, ah, that's maybe not the best comp or whatever, but it's a lot harder being on the other side and trying to give the best, most accurate information. But it was super fun and definitely enjoyed it. Hopefully people find it useful. If you have complaints about the Red Wing section, you can send me all your hate mail. (laughs) It is a little stressful though, right? Because you want to have relevant information that people just can't go to elite prospects and look at the prospects profile and read his stats. You want to give them more than just the stats. You want to give them some of the juice and the squeeze. So there's lots of that in this guide and I highly recommend you getting it if you've never had it. Without further ado, let's get to it. The first team up will be the Calgary Flames. They ranked in at 21. Their top 10 prospects are a little top heavy. You've got Dustin Wolf, Matt Coronado, who just had a really good showing at the World Championships, Jacob Peltier, Connor Zary, and Jeremy Poirier round out the top five. Rory Karens, Toby Ronnie, Jack Beck, 
William Stromgren and Matthias Emilio Pedersen, who to me feels like he's been a prospect in their system forever. So that's the Flames top 10. We go top 15 in the organizational rankings. So there's a few more guys, but we're going to focus on some of the players in the top here. The Flames prospect pool is pretty top heavy, I would say. They've got arguably the best goalie prospect in the world in Dustin Wolf. We talked about him on a previous episode. Victor was speaking quite highly of him and he asked if he was overblowing him. And I said, no, I think you're, I think you're undercutting him. He's a big deal. So let's start with the top with Wolf with a new GM and specifically a head coach, the Calgary flames. I think this season should feel some pressure to play some of their top prospects and Wolf in particular Markstrom struggled at times last year. And there are times that Dan Vladar was the team starting goalie. Both had moments last season. Both are under contract next year as well, which really muddies the water. Markstrom has another year following that. So it's very possible, I think, that the new GM will look to make a trade from a position of strength, which is what they have in goal, and move one of their goalies to make room for Wolf while addressing a need at another position or to make more cap space or both and put his stamp on the team, all of those things. Their top five in their prospect rankings is loaded and rounded out with Coronado, Pelche, and Zeri and Poirier, like I mentioned. But after that, it starts to fall off, I think, quite quickly. And number six, we had Rory Karens as the six-ranked prospect. And this is one where Victor and I disagreed. We didn't really have much discrepancy on the top five. We were within one or two score of each prospect. And again, like we mentioned on the previous episode, each writer that contributed to the organizational rankings, all of the editors at Dopper Prospects, ranked each team's top 15 players and gave each player a score between 1 and 10, a 10 being Connor McDavid and a 1 being me, really terrible player, and a 5 being, they got like a 50-50 chance of maybe making the NHL. So Victor ranked Rory Karens with a 6 score, while I graded him a little bit lower at a 2. and some. My reasoning for being a little bit shy on on Rory Karens is that the Flames have a history of throwing late round darts at highly skilled underside players. And that's what Rory Karens is. See Glenn Godden, Matthew Phillips, Ryan Francis, Dimitri Zavgarodny, and so on. And none of those players have really stuck with the team or made an impact. While he did post some impressive stats in his first year as a pro, it was in the ECHL level. So he's gone from junior to the ECHL. He did not crack their American Hockey League roster. I want to say it's the Calgary Wranglers, but I'm not sure if it's... Is it Calgary, Victor? It is the Calgary Wranglers, yep. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I thought it might have just been like a city near Calgary. My bad. So they were a good team. So it's no shame on him for not making the roster. I want to be clear that I'm not saying he wasn't good enough to make the American Hockey League. He just wasn't good enough to make Calgary's roster, which was pretty good. The point I'm just not sold on is that he will not translate to the NHL. But if he does, he could be pretty good. So that's the reason why I'm a little bit shy on him. I just, he's small, he's undersized, he was good in junior, he's been good in the ECHL, but I haven't seen anything that convinces me that that's translatable to the National Hockey League and fantasy hockey yet. So Victor, you were much higher on him than I was. What am I missing? You paint a compelling case for why he may not be that exciting. 
I think you make some good points there. I think he did have six games with the Rangers, as you mentioned, Wranglers, as you mentioned. 11 minutes of ice time isn't a whole lot, with just two points in there. I don't know the ins and outs of what's going on in the organizations there, but it sounded like he needed more playing time, and that's why he went to the ECHL. I'm not sure if it was that he wasn't good enough or whatever. There might have been some other reasons, but... As a player, all you can do is deal with the situation in front of you. And what he had in front of him was playing in the ECHL for the Rapid City Crush. And he crushed it. There you go. 37 points in 38 games. That's all you That's all you would want from him, right? What else can you really ask for is to do the best you can in that situation. And yeah, you're, he. you would have liked to see him do it in the AHL. Of course, you would have liked to see him be able to push that equivalency up but right now he still has some pretty decent equivalencies one of his comps on hockey prospecting is tied to landria who's coming into his own although maybe being a little bit lower his pnhl certainly took a dip this year with playing in a lower equivalency league but he had some pretty decent comps morgan frost is one scott lawton those wouldn't be terrible outcomes certainly better than the few you mentioned at the beginning but i, I like Karen's for his upside. I think that there's certainly, there's a lot of volatility here. The floor is not an NHLer, and the upside is that probably not a top liner, but a middle six with some relevance. And so if you can hold on to him and maybe get some decent games, especially if you can flex him up and down, I like that. And I think that you'll probably find out pretty soon here whether he's going to be able to do that or not. Next season will be super important. We probably would have said that last year, thinking he was going to be in the the AHL, but I'm pretty sure he has to be in the AHL next year or else you can really start forgetting about him because then he'll be 22 and he'll be passing his time. But if he can do that, I think there's still some real upside there if not if he continues to play in the ECHL or flounders in the AHL then it's probably time to move on from him and maybe he'll end up being just like Philip Scott and Francis I would give Rory Karens one more year and if he can really stake his claim to being a productive AHLer then I think there's still enough history there from his pedigree that it might be worth holding on to him so you're saying there's a chance more like one out of a million so you're telling me there's a chance Saying there's a chance, not a good one, but there's a chance. (laughs) All right, so that's Calgary. Thanks for the rundown on Calgary there, Pete. Let's move on to our 20th team, the Arizona Coyotes. And they have a history of not drafting so great and getting screwed in the draft lottery a little bit. But the last few years, I would say, have been pretty good. They have some pretty prominently featured prospects on the list, guys like Cooley, Gunther, Geeky, they haven't been as good at drafting and developing goalies. They hit the European jackpot on Karel Velmelka. He looks really good. And they still have a pretty decent goalie prospect in Prasvetov. Matthias Michelli has turned out to be quite a nice actual NHL player too. He got some Calder love, probably in my opinion, should have got a little bit more than what he got based on what he had to work with there in Arizona. But he finally worked out of being drafted way back in 2019 as a fourth round pick. So they do have some history of being able to develop some players. I think that overall, it's been a little disappointing. So overall, we pretty much agree on most of the top five. Logan Cooley, Dylan Gunther, Matthias Michelli, Connor Geeky, Victor Soderstrom are the top five there. And then there's a few other guys like Presvetov. But there's a couple that we disagree on. I think you're a little higher on Soderstrom than I am. I think he's a fine, probable, and middle to bottom pairing NHLer. I think you maybe think more of him, but the guys that we're going to talk about 
are Janique. And the major disagreement is Artem Duda. And there's this song, whenever I say Artem Duda's he- song name, it just sticks in my head. The Camptown Races, the Camptown Ladies sing this song, Duda. So I have to, whenever I say Artem Duda's name, I have to say Duda. I have to say it twice. Oh, the Duda day. So Duda is a 2022 second round pick. He was 19. 19- he was April birthday, so that normal range, maybe a little bit on the young side, but he's a six foot, 187 pound left hand D. And he didn't play a whole lot of games this year. So it was really hard to track his improvement. But last year, he pretty much just played in the MHL. He killed it in the MHL, 41 points in 52 games. This year, amongst all the injuries, it limited him to 31 total games. So a lot fewer than he played all of last season. And he had some pretty even split between the KHL and the MHL. He didn't really do much in his KHL time, but he only had 10 minutes a night. So that's not a whole lot. And he was nearly a point per game in the MHL. So that's good. If you look at his PNHLE, he's got a PNHLE of 48. So for a defenseman, that should get you excited. That's pretty good. And his hockey prospecting. Now here's the rub. Byron's using his MHL data. If you use his KHL equivalency, I'm sure it would be much lower. But if you use his MHL equivalency, Duda went from a 26 to a 59% chance of being a star and all the way up to an 84% chance of being an NHLer. So he looks like a bunch of stars in in this model based on that. And we can argue whether that's realistic or not. 14 MHL games where you're a point per game is not a huge sample size. And I'm sure Byron would say that. And we want to see more data to see if that's accurate. But if it is accurate, then he's someone who we should be excited about. He's a good skater. He's got some offensive pop. He's got a great shot, good hands. And he really helps control the game. I know some of the issues with Duda is that he sometimes lacks focus and effort. And I just wonder if part of that is him being him playing at a level that's just way below where he should be in the MHL. If that's basing on the MHL and the KHL, it's also a little bit hard because he's playing 10 minutes a night and not really getting into the flow of the game. It's a kind of a tale of two different situations there. And I do think he's someone with a solid peripheral floor. It depends on how well his points upside can translate. But he looks to me like a middle pairing guy with great perifs and 40-ish point upside, if not more. And the other good thing is when he comes to the NHL, he should have no wait time. He should be able to step into an NHL team and contribute right away with no wait time. And I love that, especially in cap leagues. Now, Pete, you have to explain why you didn't even rank him. Okay. So there's a couple things we disagree on on, on Duda here. First, the song, it's not the one that you mentioned. It's the police song, a doo-doo, a da-da-da. The second one is his defensive game, I think, is below average. According to reports, I haven't watched a lot of this player, to be fair. 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 But according to a lot of reports from guys who watch him, like Dylan Griffin, who wrote for scouted for Dauber prospects and, and now works for elite prospects quotes the deficiency he sees in his game as lacking gap control composure and timing and i'm quoting he also added that he lacks physical strength his mhl production as you pointed out is pretty good it's not great and he's not really shown signs of translating that at higher levels he's had opportunities at professional levels in the khl and hasn't done anything with it now again i haven't watched him in the khl so i don't know if he's getting two minutes a game and whatnot which would make it very difficult for him to produce so i potentially concede that point i'm also not really sold on his peripherals 
he's had a 119 game streak of not taking a penalty. So while that's good for, in some senses, you're not penalizing your team by doing stupid things and taking down penalties. It also tells me that he lacks an aggressive physical nature to his game, which makes me question if he's not producing offensive dynamic offensive ability enough to make him an NHL player, then I think he's going to be lacking some of the other attributes that would perhaps help carry him there or compensate. So he's a risky player to bet on. You've got the combination of poor defensive play. And I think a long probable wait time before he comes to North America the Russian factor, and if he even ever shows up in North America, and then the show me something at a higher level that we haven't seen yet are all red flags that I have on this file. So the offensive upside and the potential are there, but I think I'd rather just commit a roster spot and the term with that roster spot on another player that's even a long shot with other prospects that I just think has a higher potential. I'm just not sold on the file. I'm not writing him off. I'm not saying that definitely he's a bust and I'm not sure why Arizona drafted him as high as they did. I just think it's a risk that I'm not comfortable making on that player. So I think this depends on whether you have what size league you're talking about, because if you have a few spots for the minor system, maybe it's a 14 team league and you have five to eight spots, then this is definitely not a player you want to take a risk on. But if it's in a deeper league, I play in many that have 30 roster minor spots. There's no reason this player shouldn't be rostered because you have the breadth and the depth to be able to wait on a player like this. And you can really reap the benefit when they when and if he comes over. But you're right in a shallow league, you probably don't have any business rostering this guy because there's plenty of other options that'll be available and ready probably before that. That's what this show talks about. It talks about deep dynasty leagues that have full prospect rosters. So I wouldn't be opposed to owning him in a 30 team league that had 25 prospect spots on the bench. You're going pretty deep there, but I'd want to see some, some signs of life from him in the next season. I'd want to see him play full-time in the KHL. I'd want to see him play good minutes in the KHL. And I'd want to see some signs of development in his game in a number of pretty much all aspects of his game. I know I'd want to see him producing offensively. And I'd want to see some reports where he's really got his puck management skills under control and defensive game as well. Let's move on and talk about another guy in the Coyotes system. Yan Yannick, you mentioned him earlier on when you were going through the top rankings of the team he ended up coming in at the seventh overall which i guess i was a little higher on him i rate him a six and you brought his score down with a three what i like about him or what i was thinking about him anyways is he's a restricted free agent he's going to need a new contract this season his elc is over and i think he'll get one i think arizona is going to sign him if not then they'll trade his rights or whatnot he'll lose his waiver exemption which is where i'm really going with this and I think he's an NHL ready player. He's got 17 games played in his career in the three years that he's been developing as a professional player. And he's got some limited offensive upside. I'll concede that he was great in junior, but he just he's produced okay at the American Hockey League. Not very great offensively at the NHL level, but there's still runway to develop there. But he's got a great peripheral stats. He's good for one plus hit a game, a, sh- a block shot a game, two to three shots on goal per game. 
He's dual positional eligible. So he's a player who can get you some face-off win stats as a winger. And then you've also got the versatility of a player. You can move him to the wing or to center and, and get some extra games played on your roster that way. He's likely going to maintain minor eligibility in your fantasy league. As I mentioned, he's only got 17 games played. So if you've got a prospect game played cap of 40, 60, 80, 160, whatever it is games, you've got a lot of time with him. A fringe roster player, you can put him in your minors. And then when someone gets injured, you can call him up. So he provides a lot of value and versatility in dynasty leagues that way. So I like him. He's going to have a cheap contract, and I think he'll provide a lot of options for your fantasy roster. He's a good utility player. So, you know, better than an average chance to make the NHL, but only slightly because I think the upside is a bottom six player with utility versatility. So that's my take on on Yannick. Why'd you rank him lower than that? He's not even likely to be an NHL player. That's not why I rank him low. I tend to favor more upside. And so that's really basically what it comes down to. I agree with you. He's definitely a perifs guy. He has really good banger floor. I just don't know that the offense is going to translate in his abbreviated NHL time. He hasn't done really anything impressive there. And even his AHL equivalency, he's looking like a 40 point player. So a 40 point player with good perifs is waiver wire fodder, in my opinion. So I would rather probably just get someone that I can add off the waiver wire. And I, if there's more points than that, then obviously he would be more valuable. But he's also had three years to break into the NHL on pretty bad teams. And so there may be other mitigating factors there of why he hasn't come up to the NHL. I don't know what the Coyotes are necessarily thinking there, but he's had a total of 17 NHL games in the past three seasons and primarily in a starring role in the AHL. And he's looked definitely looked good there. But will it will the points translate? I just don't know. I just not confident. Yeah, I think as a high floor guy, I really like Yannick. I think that he's going to be someone who will probably play NHL games and he will throw his body around. And that's nice. I just don't know that the points are going to be there. And the way that I like to build my roster is I don't necessarily like to hold on to those types of players. If I feel like I can get the equivalent type of player off off the waiver wire or free agency, then I'll just look for them there if I need that. All right. So that's the Arizona Coyotes who ranked in at 20 in the organizational rankings. Moving on to the 19th place team would be the Ottawa Senators. So they're a team that has been in a rebuilding phase for several seasons now. And the team began tearing it down when they traded away Eric Carlson, Mark Stone, Pajot, and blah, blah, blah for draft picks and prospects. That being several years ago, they're now into the rebuild and the team has had one of the better prospects pools in the NHL since that time. The Sens are starting to turn the corner now, and we're seeing several prospects have graduated to the main roster, and they're now making up the core of the team. Tim Stutzla, Brady Kachuk, Thomas Shabbat, Josh Norris, Drake Batherson. These are all players who are under 25 years old and playing key roles with the Ottawa Senators. Sens are still a very young team with an average age of about 25 years old and still have some promising prospects in the system to look forward to. They're not a top five team anymore. They rank in 19, so just below 20. Their top 10 prospects are Jake Sanderson, who you could maybe argue is graduated now. I think most people will consider him to be a full-time NHLer. Ridley Grieg, Mads Sogard, Lassie Thompson, Jacob Bernard Docker, Zach Ostapchuk. That's the top six. You've got Yegor Zamula, Tyler Boucher, Roby Yarventi, 
and Levy Marilinen make up your top 10. And there's some other players in there that we go top 15, but these are the guys that I think that are most fancy relevant. Some players that we scored, Victor, that were a little bit different on, or we didn't see eye to eye on, Vitaly Abramov. So I've always been a fan of Abramov. I watched him in Gatineau. I watched him in Belleville. And I think he can play in the NHL in a top nine role today. But he didn't make the rankings because he signed a two-year contract extension in the KHL. So if you're still rostering him in your fantasy, I hate to say it, but now's the time to cut bait there. He's dead to me. So other players who are more relevant, Victor ranked Shane Pinto a seven, and I didn't rank him as I considered him as a graduated player, but we would have had a similar score if I decided to include him in with the prospect rankings. Another player that we were off base on was Igor Sokolov. So this is a player I ranked six, not extremely high. I think he's going to play a little in the NHL this year. And you didn't rank him at all. And he ended up being the seventh overall ranked prospect on the consensus with about seven of us, I think, that contributed to this. So with Sokolov, the knock on him for a long time has been his skating. That's been the red flag on his file, as well as conditioning. He's a kind of a big guy. He's six foot three, 223 pounds, and maybe a little on the heavy side. He's got a wicked shot. His pace and playmaking have really improved in his AHL time. And I've seen him live several times this year as Belleville's just down the street for me. And he's one of the BSN's top forwards, for sure. He had an NHL look last year and put up two points in the five games cup of coffee that he had there near the end of the season. He's going to be a pending restricted free agent. He's, I think Sokolov is going to get a contract for sure. And he's going to lose his waiver exemption. So similar to what I said before with Yen Yannick. And he's a very strong candidate for a bottom six role. I see an opportunity and offensive upside and some Maz peripheral value. So that's why I ranked him as a six here. So Victor, where is the Sokolov love? The Sokolov. Sokolov. Yeah, <laughs> it's not there for me. I think he's, he's definitely been a good AHL player. But the issue is that he didn't really have a super high equivalency before popping off in the AHL. And I, when I look at these, I tend to have high scrutiny for guys that tend to pop off later in their AHL career. So his his first year in the A was pretty good, but he's been much better in the last two and he's now 22. And so guys who, not that 22 is like super old or anything, but guys who take two or three years to really increase their equivalency in the AHL tend not to have super high NHL production. And so that's really the biggest issue for me is just how much farther can he go? Because before that, most of his equivalencies in the queue were actually quite low in terms of his draft year being, or his draft year was pretty good, but his D minus one year wasn't that high. And so there was a bit of a, of an issue there. And so I just, the question, is he really a late bloomer or is he really going to pop off? He was really young for his draft year. And that's always something I like to consider being a June 7th birthday. He's just a, a few months away from being eligible for the following draft. And so that's something that could certainly rank in his favor. But PNHLE of 39 after a strong AHL season when he's 22, I'm just not sure how much more room there is to grow in terms of his points upside. Right now, his best comp on hockey prospecting is Tanner Pearson who is like the most boring 
prospect or most boring like NHL or very average, like someone who you might roster in fantasy and just pull your hair out because he usually doesn't do much. So that would be a little bit frustrating, but I do think, yeah, he is going to play and they Ottawa, part of the reason Ottawa is down on this list is that they have so many great young NHLers. So they have a really strong young NHL cast. And so that might make it a little bit harder for him to actually start contributing at the top level. So I think he's, he's really improved his play and he's done a little bit better but I just don't know how much more room there is to grow. And so there's the lack of Sokolov there, Pete. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Current betting lines, Florida Panthers 170, Vegas Golden Knights 120 for Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And I have the next team, and that is the San Jose Sharks, 18, number 18. And there's a couple of players here that, you know, that I think we mostly agree on. I've been pleading for the Sharks to rebuild for years and under GM Doug Wilson, they just refused to do that, but they ended up with some pretty good draft picks. Anyways, it was hilarious. Actually, they tried to be competitive and it just didn't quite work out. Although I'll never forgive them for letting the Sens turn Eric Carlson into both Josh Norris and Tim Stutzla. That was good job. Sens. That was really good work there under Greer. They have still tried to be competitive, but it also it didn't quite work out and they kind of underwhelmed underwent what I dubbed as the stealth tank because they actually tried, but it didn't work and they're going to have a really high pick in this year's draft. And that fourth overall is going to get them a really solid player, no matter who they go with. They have a few high end forwards, Eklund and Borlo lead the list. We also have Philip Bistet as someone who's really risen in the ranks since being drafted last year. They were pretty weak on defense and Ryan Merkley was their sole contributor or potential prospect and they traded him away this season. And so Mukhamadoulin, Thrun and Havilid have shored up their defensive prospects. They have a couple other decent forwards, including guys like Shemilevsky who are in Russia, may or may not come back. They also have Daniel Gushin, but there's a couple guys that quite a few actually that we disagreed on. I'm a little bit higher on Gannon LaRock, although he didn't play much this year. Michael Fisher, who certainly has a long way to go after being drafted at a high school, Jake Furlong. And you're a little higher on Tristan Robbins. So we're going to go there first. And I'm going to let you make your opening arguments, counselor. If it pleases, Victor, I'd like to say that Tristan Robbins is an easy to root for underdog that... Yeah, he might. Sure, I'll concede he lacks elite level skill, but he really works hard. He's overmatched, but perseveres and scores big goals. I'm seeing him as a player that defies the odds playing another year in the American Hockey League where he should improve his offensive production. He needs and he needed an adjustment season in junior when he came in like a lot of players do. It's a big step going from wherever you play to the WHL or the OHL. And his rookie season wasn't great, probably limited to some ice time. But as he matured in that league, he started producing some offense and really gained the eyes of scouts, guys like Joel Henderson. So he's 5'11", and now he's 21, and he spent the season in the American Hockey League. And I think this was an adjustment season for him. He started off pretty slow. Overall, his stat level was underwhelming, but 
He finished the year strong, 13 points in his last 17 games, including a couple multiple point games. So that kind of could be an indicator that he's in line for a bigger role next year. Hopefully the Barracuda are an improved team that will help. And he could move the needle positively a little bit on his fantasy rankings. He's just a player that I think won't be denied. I think he's just going to sheer will and determination are going to play him into the National Hockey League. And the opposite of Duda, I think he's just got that Anthony Sorelli determination. I like those points. I like Tristan Robbins as a player. I've seen him live several times. I've been lucky enough to go to Barracuda games thanks to the credentials through Dauber Prospects. That's been really fun. And yeah, Robbins is definitely a guy who I think is tracking and trending towards being an NHLer. He definitely had some growing pains this season. It was a big jump for him. He looked awful early in the season. And also it's important to note that this Barracuda team was a mess. They were not good. And so it was hard for anyone to stand out in a good way. And basically whenever Eklund and Bordalo were out there, they looked pretty decent. And when they weren't, it was a struggle for everyone else. And Tristan Robbins, towards the end of the season, became more one of those guys that did help them look good. I think the biggest issue for me is what is he at the next level? Because he does have a good shot. He's fast. He plays with some pace. But is he going to score enough to be a high-impact fantasy player? I'm just not convinced that he has more than 15, 20 goals in him. And the NHL level, I hope I'm wrong. That would be great. But I, I think he's a middle sixer. I do think he's an energy guy. I think he plays that role really well. I think he would be a good third liner. And I'm just not sure he has an upside beyond that. Maybe he will. He did turn around his season this year. It's totally reasonable to think that he might really turn it off, turn it up next year in the AHL and bang the door down and become a top six NHLer. I think that is a plausible outcome. Right now, if you look at his most of his statistics, he's trended down in his star potential. He looks like replacement to average level NHLers. Benoit Pouliot is a guy that he looks like in the hockey prospecting model. Cody Eakin, someone in the PNHLE model with a ranking Mason Black. So those are middle six guys. And so that's my concern. Again, if you have a deep enough pool and you can save a roster spot for him, then by all means. But I'm just not I'm not holding on to hope that he's going to be someone that's really going to move the needle and help my fantasy team. That's where I'm at with Tristan Robbins. And I surely hope he proves me wrong. He seems like a very decent dude and he's very dedicated to making it and busting the door down. I hope he does it. As we go through these and we talk about the discrepancies in the players, we're making the same points. And it's just a matter of interpretation and how it applies to our fantasy hockey strategies. So that'll be something interesting, I think, to keep an eye on as we progress through these series. We've got about 20 more teams to go here. And, and how many more times that theme comes up where we both like the same guy. We just scored him differently because our expectations for fantasy are our strategy with terms or upside or how we want to commit to players that have more limited ceilings and or are their versatility or how long it takes them to make the NHL. These are all varying points of concern with rostering prospects and sitting on them for a while. But as a fantasy manager, you've got to decide how you want to dictate your roster ownership. And if you have a whole bunch of guys who fit one mold, I think that can be a risky strategy. If you're thinking boomer bust, like I only want guys who are going to be elite scorers and only one or two of them pan out, then you've got a roster problem where eventually you might not have enough players to make a roster that are graduatable. Or on the other hand, if you have a lot of guys who are 
more sure things that have a higher probability of making the NHL with a lower floor and a high ceiling, you could have a bunch of grinders and meat and potatoes guys that you just, you can't win with. So it's a balancing act for sure. So let's keep going through the rankings and see if this theme keeps reoccurring. Next up would be the 17th ranked team. That's the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think the Leafs have done a pretty decent job of balancing being competitive or a contender and at the same time, keeping an eye on the future. Yes, they've traded away a few first round picks in recent years. And no, that didn't necessarily pay off in terms of playoffs. Playoff success has been well documented. But the core of Matthews, Mitch Marner, Morgan Riley, John Tavares, Nylander, they still have plenty of window to go. The question will be, what does the Leafs new GM and leadership want to do? And how will the new GM value the prospects that he didn't draft? GMs draft a player and that's their guy. They'll stick with him through thick or thin. You'll also see when those GMs find themselves on another team, they might look to acquire players that they drafted before. They're just familiar with them. They're fans. They believe in them, whatever you want to say it. So how will the new Leafs GM value some of the players that we've ranked in the top 15? They got some good players and prospects to work with. And their scouting staff, I think, have done a pretty good job of identifying talent beyond the first round. So the rankings break down like this. We got Matthew Nyes, number one, and Nick Robertson, number two. Toppy Niemela came in at three. Fraser Minton at four. Nick Moldenhauer at five. And this is where I think it, it starts to get a little bit questionable. You got Ty Voigt at six. Rodion Amirov at seven. Nikita Grabyonkin at eight. Ronnie Hervinen at nine and Joseph Wall at 10. I wonder if Joseph Wall would have not ranked a lot higher if we did our rankings before the playoffs. So let's talk about right at the top. You've got Matthew Nyes. We spoke about him, Victor, on a recent episode. And there's a lot of hype after his freshman year being drafted by the Leafs in the second round. A lot of people were saying that, oh, the Leafs got a first round pick in the second round. And so everyone thinking they got like a first overall pick. There was a lot of expectation after his really strong freshman season that he could finish the year in the NHL and play last year in the NHL, but he chose to go the sophomore route and returned to the NCAA and signed after this season that just passed. And he came as advertised at probably even exceeding some lofty expectations. I'm not going to lie. He did better than I thought he would in the playoffs. And he ended up playing a valuable top six role there. Nick Robertson has been plagued by injuries, but don't overlook him. If he can stay healthy, he gives the Leafs two cap-friendly top six wingers options for the upcoming season. So we were pretty on par with the top guys, I think, Victor. So let's talk about Rodion Amirov. He's one of the players we scored differently. I ranked him a seven and you ranked him a four. So I think the obvious probably factor here is his health. He was unfortunately has some life-threatening health issues diagnosed with a brain tumor or cancer or something like that, something awful. And it's really put his hockey career and his life in serious jeopardy. But until I hear otherwise, I'm going into this considering him as an injured player. And I'm going to expect that if and when he wins his fight with cancer, he'll return to hockey. And the upside on this player is immense. He's a highly drafted, highly ranked prospect. Until I hear that his hockey career is over, I'm going to keep ranking him as one of the Leafs' more elite prospects, hence my favorable score. Victor, 
as a doctor, is your prognosis on his career more realistic than mine? Yeah, I wish I could give a more accurate prognosis. I wish I knew the details of what type of tumor it was because we don't know. Most brain tumors are secondary brain tumors, meaning they come from somewhere else. I don't think that was the case with him, and they're more treatable if they're primary tumors, meaning they originate inside the brain or the cranium. But what we do know is that he basically didn't play, and he hasn't played for a really long time. And so that, of course, we... I want to say that we're very grateful that he seems to be recovering. I just saw a tweet that Salavat ULF Ufa re-signed him to a contract for 2023-24. I would imagine they would only do that if he was ready to contribute again. I guess it's possible they sign him to a symbolic contract and he's not doing well, but that's not what it sounds like. It sounds like that he, they are looking forward to having him return to the ice and contribute. So that's as much as I know. I wish I knew more of the medical details so I could offer some input there, but it, it sounds like he's going to be returning to the ice, which probably means that it was treatable and he's recovered. I'm going to guess. I wish I knew more, but obviously missing so much time, he missed, he played 13 games in 2021-22 before before the diagnosis was discovered. He had an injury and with while they were evaluating him, I think it was maybe for a head injury and they did a scan of his head and found the tumor. So it was an incidental finding. Luckily, they did. And anyways, he didn't play at all last year. And it sounds like he is slated to start in 2023-24. Remember, the KHL season also starts early, so we might know by like July-August if he's planning on playing. And so that would be good to know. My rating was really, yeah, it was just based on his uncertainty. I've also, I remember watching and reading about him previously in, in his draft year and everything. And I remember there being a lot of mixed opinions about him because there's some dynamism there. There's some dynamic play, but also... It also it, might, it just seems like he might be a middle sixer. And so that is something that I just want to see more about. And we haven't been able to see more of his play to really make that decision. So I would certainly keep a close eye on him. And if he starts doing well in the KHL, if he's somehow available in your league, someone maybe lost interest or focus and dropped him, then it's worth a roster spot because... Yeah, if he's playing in the KHL, if he can put up decent numbers and come over in a year or two, then he could step right into a decent role with the Maple Leafs. And that would be a really good thing. So, yeah, my my four is mainly just his uncertainty and what's going on with his health. And I wish we knew more, but at least it seems like he's going to play next year. And that's great news. Yeah, that's a really good point that he's missed a lot of development time and you can't get that back. And not unlike Marco Rossi, where not only was he not playing hockey, I'm sure he wasn't working out or exercising as he's going through chemo. So it's hard to say how that's going to affect someone. I think it's going to be different for everyone as individuals. So time will tell. And most importantly, I think everyone just wishes that this kid is able to overcome this disease and have a happy, healthy, long life as a hockey player or just as a human being. So let's talk about another prospect that we scored a little differently with the Leafs, and that's another Russian. It's goalie Arter Akiyamov. I apologize for saying his name wrong. I'm sure I did. He's a six foot one, 21 year old goalie. He was drafted by Toronto in 2020, round 406th overall. And he's been playing in Russia his whole time, mainly in the VHL. The Leafs tried to sign him to his entry level contract, but he chose not to and to stay in Russia. Kai saw a tweet from Kyle Cushman. 
he tweeted that his KHL team, Akbars, has also signed two other goalies, Timor Ilyalov and Amir Miftikov, for next season. So it remains to be seen where he will play. So my lowest score here is influenced by the Russian factor heavily, and also my limited familiarity with this particular prospect in general. It's going to be a long wait, I think, until we see him coming over to North America or being a fantasy option. So those are the reasons why I gave him a low score. Victor, you like him more than I do, and I'm Lee fan, so what am I missing? Maybe nothing, but I do think that he's the best prospect goalie in the system. And yes, I know that includes Joseph Wall, and I know that he did play some playoff games recently, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's the best goalie in the system. It means he was the most available one and affordable and all of that. So you can't argue with that. He was definitely there and he did fine. But if you look at the equivalencies that you look at on like hockey prospecting, it's is almost double what, what Walls was. And so that doesn't mean everything, but it is interesting to see. He has some pretty nice comps, guys like Jose Theodore, Yaroslav Halak. And so I don't necessarily rank based on opportunity because I think it can change quickly. Yes, Wall is there. He has the opportunity. Sure, that's he's the best of who's available right now, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he is the best long-term option. So if you take that into effect, I think that there is a really good case to be made for Akhtiamov. He's still only 21. He'll be 22 in October. I know he didn't sign now, but that doesn't mean he won't sign in a year. And I think when he is ready, he can come over and step right into a role. And I think he can perform better than Joseph Wall did. And so I think there's always this idea of if this guy is here, he's going to get the first crack and then he's going to be the one that takes the role and keeps it. But that isn't always the case. Just because you have first crack at it doesn't mean that you're going to be better. It may mean that you stumble a little bit and you hold the space until the guy who's better does it now i also understand he just may not come over and that's possible and then you feel like you wasted this roster spot but most of these players generally do want to come over they get paid a lot more and they're interested in that but 22 is still young for a goalie if this were a skater i would agree that yeah you're probably running out of patience with someone like that but for a goalie he's got two or three more years until you're really starting to tap your foot and say, okay, he needs to be in North America and getting ready to be in NHL games. But I think with Akhtiamov, you can be a little bit more patient, or at least I think the Leafs should be, because I think they got a good one here. And he's he's someone that I would be interested in hanging on to. All right. So we got our last team for this episode, and that is none other than the St. Louis Blues. And the Blues are ranked 16th. They have a style, I would say, in the draft. They tend to take the rugged, bruising, type players recently forwards who end up being middle sixers at best, or at least that's my take on it. Last year, they broke the mold a little bit. They took Jimmy Snuggerud, who did fit that, but I think has more offensive pop. And he surely showed that this year in college, really popping off. And so he's our number one. We, we agree on that. They also have some pretty decent other prospects. They have Joel Hofer as a solid goalie. They have, I think I would categorize a glut of middle six forwards, guys like Zach Bulduk, Jake Neighbors, Zach Dean, Simone Robertson. And I would lump Nikita Alexandrov in that, but I know that we don't agree on that. We'll get to him in a minute. But we need to talk about Marc-Andre Gaudet. He's one of the players we're going to discuss here. And so rounding out the top 10, there's some other guys. Michael Butchinger. Buckinger is a guy that I think is really underrated. I had him a little bit higher than 
consensus, but we weren't wildly off, so we're not going to mention him. But he's someone that I would be interested in looking into if you don't know that name. But let's talk a little bit about Mark Andre Godet because I'm going to make the case that he should be a little bit higher than where he was ranked. If you look at our rankings here between you and I, pulling up where we are different. So I was, I had him as a seven and you did not rank him. So that's where we're at. He was a 2022 fifth round pick, six foot three, 181 pounds. He plays in the queue, didn't have a stellar draft year. And I think that might be a big part of this. He had a 38 points in 68 games for the Acadie Batrust Titan. And that wasn't super exciting. Made his equivalency pretty low. And then this year, he had just under a point per game for Shikudami, and that was a new team for him. And then he was over point per game for Sherbrooke, the Phoenix, which was really had a really strong year and did really well in the playoffs too. So 35 points in 35 games for the Phoenix. Most of those were assists. And then nine points in 14 games during the playoffs. He's big, as I mentioned, 6'3". He's mobile. He activates well. He has a good shot. I think if you're looking for other translatable skills like nothing is super elite but i think he thinks the game pretty well he moves pretty quick he reacts quick he has some offensive pop that he showed this year for sherbrooke his coursey was 64 percent, which was pretty awesome and it was also it was also good for shakutami just not quite as amazing the blocks were nearly two a game hits were about half and three shots a game his pnhle based on this season was 53 which is pretty nice for a defenseman his similarity scores are guys like Travis Hamanek, TJ Brody. The hockey prospecting model is far less sympathetic to his case, though. Definitely that low D minus zero, D minus one season really didn't do him any favors. And even though he's improved this year, it, it really didn't help too much. And so he's, he looks like Philippe Myers or kind of replacement level defenseman in that league. Yeah, I'm not saying drop everyone for Marc-Andre Godet. I just think he's someone who probably is available in a lot of leagues being that he's a fifth round pick and had some offense that kind of popped off the page this year. So I think there's a decent chance that he does something. I am. I know that defensemen are tend to have a little bit harder road and he may not translate that offense professionally, but if he did, there's a, there's a pretty good case to be made for him. Pete, what do you think about Mark Andre? Got Not too much. I didn't rank him. So obviously I'm either sleeping on him and I'm way behind the times here. And this is a player who a lot of other people are sleeping on because he ended up getting ranked in the top 15 overall. You ranked him as a seven. So just for context for that, some other kind of players that I ranked as a seven off just scrolling through my list, Yuri Kulich, Kevin Korchinski, Connor Zary, Stuart Skinner. That one might be a little low, actually. Sebastian Kosa. So that's a, Pretty gl- glowing endorsement, seven. I wouldn't go that high, even if I am sleeping on him. So he lacks draft pedigree as a fifth round selection. He's on his third team in two seasons, which is a bit of a red flag for me, potentially. I don't know the context for that, but that can sometimes be a real problem. He's a two-way player that has not really captured the attention of myself or many others in the scouting or prospecting community. Although he was NHL drafted and he has been signed by the Blues, so he's got an NHL contract in his pocket. So that kind of counterpoints myself. Maybe he's a late bloomer and he's flying under the radar. You said yourself that he does a lot of things well, but nothing really great. 
And I think that a player needs to have something dynamic in his game that'll carry him to the NHL because the competition to make the NHL is just too steep for guys that are jack of all trades and master or none. He's six foot three. That's nice. There's lots of guys that are six foot three. He's got a hard shot. That's nice. But I'm just not seeing a dynamicism to his game that I think is going to propel him to the NHL. Would I be willing to add him as a free agent on my prospect roster? Yes, absolutely. He's got an NHL contract and I believe he'll be turning pro this season unless he has, he's 19. So he might have another season to go. I'm not sure when his birthday is. Overall, he's pretty vanilla. So I'm just not really sold on him. He's an October 24th birthday. So he should be in the AHL this year. If, okay. if they want him, if not, he'll be back in the queue. As an overager. Yeah. All right. So you hinted towards another player. I'm ready to move on to Nikita Alexandrov if you are. Yep. So the file on Nikita Alexandrov is I think I'm a little higher on him than you are. He's the Russian German center and he's had a bit of a rough ride on his development cycle since being the last selection in the second round of the 2019 draft by the Blues. He had a nice junior career in the CHL with Charlotte and Islanders. And then the pandemic forced him to find a home in Europe where he played 21, 28 Liga games, scored nine points. Meh. He returned to finish the year of the American Hockey League and he had five points in seven games in Utica. His full rookie season was good, but 30 points in a full 67 game campaign raised some questions about his projectability to the NHL. Then he had a breakout season, in my opinion, and put any concerns to bed, scoring 38 points in 41 AHL games last year. He was recalled to the NHL for 28 games with the Blues, where he played admirably with seven points. I think he's going to look to carry that momentum into a full-time NHL role next year and likely fit in as a middle six role as he's no longer waiver exempt. Probably going to be another example of our differences in NHL strategies, unless you see some other red flags on here that that I've overlooked. So, Victor, what's your counterpoint? Yeah, my counterpoint to that is that Basically what I said before, late blooming AHL producers just tend not to be big fantasy producers, in my opinion. And I'm happy to hear exceptions or examples that people have, but it generally doesn't work out. AHL production is usually a good proxy for being able to hack it in the NHL, but it doesn't mean you're going to be a high end fantasy producer. It just means that you if you do well in the AHL, you can probably hang in the NHL. But usually those guys that, you know, are teenagers or in their 20s or maybe 21 that pop off in their first AHL season, they're the ones that tend to be able to really translate that to high-end producers in the NHL. And so that's why I'm just not sold on Nikita Alexandrov. I do think that he's looking like he's going to be a NHLer. He's gotten some games, obviously, and I think he looked fine in those. He doesn't look like anything... Super impressive. His ex- his expected goals in Corsi were pretty low, which is to be expected for a player in his first few NHL games. His defensive game was actually pretty decent, though, so definitely suggests that he can hang. But it also suggests to me, based on his equivalencies, this equivalency of PNHLE of 37 and his star potential of 1%, doesn't suggest to me that he's going to be more than a middle six or maybe even bottom six prospect. So yeah, he's going to play NHL games, but I he's the kind of guy that if I, like you were talking about roster construction, you want 
guys at different stage of their development. And so if I had space and I wanted guys that were just, that were playing in the NHL and have a chance to have a role, then yeah, definitely. I would be interested in Nikita Alexandrov, but I wouldn't have too high of an expectation for him. And I would definitely want to have guys with higher upside to help balance that out because I just think that the floor is high for him, but the ceiling isn't necessarily very high. So I just have lower expectations for what I think he can do. That's about it. That pretty much puts a wrap on report seven. Thanks very much for listening to our prospects report number seven. Thanks to Kevin Longwell for our logo. Check him out on Instagram at Kevin Longwell for feedback on the show or to chat with us. You can follow us on Twitter at DPR underscore show at Farling at Victor Nuno 12 at Sabrin 91. Special thanks to our producer Evan Sabrin, who does an amazing job with making these podcasts sound better than when we record them and for doing those teasers and previews for each episode too. I'm really enjoying those. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or the podcast aggregator of your choice and leave us a five-star review. Five stars only, please. It really helps the show. And you can also like our Facebook page, Dauber Prospects Report. Don't forget to follow HockeyPodNet and all the great podcasts on the network. That's it for this episode. Keep your stick on the ice. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Let's do that hockey.